This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, on the other side this tonight is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. Glad to have you with me tonight. Happy New Year, Paul, and it's good to uh, put the clothes on one fantasy season, start looking ahead to the rookies, and open up another one. Absolutely. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Last week, I think might have been one of the first weeks, and I don't know how long that we didn't put out a podcast. You know, Hopefully, you guys checked out the podcast I was on uh, last week. That was a lot of fun, uh, joining Day uh, Day. Jay DiLorenzo and, and Vernon, and, and it was a really good time. So check that out. I had tweeted about it and retweeted it. So uh, last week I know I was updating a lot of stuff in the scouting notebook. Still got a couple more profiles from the deep dive ones that we did, but uh, Pickett's in there. Jameson Williams has been added, Kent, Kent Walker. Uh, and I started, I think, uh, Khalil Shakir's been added, and a couple more running backs left with Zach Charbonnet and Jerome Ford. But, yeah, I mean, we are – now, basically, with just a national championship game left, we are entering full throttle of the pre-draft months, the pre-draft process, the all-star circuit, the combine, you know, the workouts. And, you know, that really is is when we get to dive even deeper into these prospects to see how they're going to transition from the college game to the NFL game. So, Jeff, let's get right into it. Obviously, the national semifinals games Kind of kind of boring, kind of dull. Uh, the fear that I know I had and I shared a couple of weeks ago on air was that Michigan wasn't going to be able to hang with Georgia and we kind of knew Cincinnati wasn't going to be able to hang with Alabama. And that's kind of how this unfolded. I always thought we were kind of on a crash collision with Alabama-Georgia rematch, and, and that's where we're going here. But, but definitely a handful of guys that we could talk about from those games and some other things. Uh, Right at the top, though, any any quick thoughts on the national championship now that it is set? Yeah, I mean, I think we knew we were going here. Do you do you kind of expect Alabama to once again reign supreme? Do you think Georgia might get them on the on the rematch? Any quick thoughts about the national title game? Well, I mean, I'm always a big fan of underdogs, and you know, love seeing um, you know a Cincinnati kind of make get a chance to play on a stage but really it i mean these are the two teams that you know you wanted to see at the very end fighting it out for you know the you know best college football team and i i think um i'm really impressed with alabama's team you know they're doing really well especially after all the talent you know they keep cycling through to the nfl I don't think this is as strong of an Alabama team as we've seen in the past. Now I love a lot of these players like Jamison Williams is really coming out of, you know, coming out, making an impact this year, you know, as a transfer and and Bryce Young's doing really well, you know, Brian Robinson. But I I think if we start stacking those to the players they had last year, you know, last year's roster was stronger and Georgia's really bringing in a tough defense. And so I just don't, I think this is going to be a more competitive game than than something you just kind of expect, you know, Alabama to steamroll yet again. Yeah, I mean, what's wild, the opening line had Georgia favored by two and a half, which I, I thought was really weird considering Alabama beat them. Uh, so I'm sure there's going to be some movement in that line. But yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty good game. I, I do think 
Alabama is still going to come away victorious. I think they might win by seven, ten points, something like that. But I think, obviously, it'll be more entertaining than the national semifinal game for sure. And there'll definitely be some things uh, to really, you know, hone in on and, and watch closely. So, and we'll talk about some more of those players because there's definitely some guys from those prospective teams that I want to get into. But I feel like we got to start the top with, you know, the Ole Miss, Matt Corral, Obviously, a really scary situation, you know, being carted off the field. It sounds like he avoided, you know, a severe, you know, draft impacting injury. And and, and it's an ankle injury, but it's not one that is going to derail, I think, whatever his draft stock was, which was probably somewhere in the top 15 picks or so. But it does it does open up the question, though. Like, you know, we saw Pittsburgh play over the last week or so. Kenny Pickett chose not to play. And, you know, and we saw you know, Kent Walker not to play. And we started Ohio State wide receivers not to play. You know, it, it, you know, I, I respect Corral for playing and he's a gamer and, and that part of it will probably pique the interest of some NFL teams. But it does show you, right, we, you know, we saw Jalen Smith way back when, you know, career. You know, it's been okay in the NFL, but not what I think we thought it would be prior to that injury. You know, and hopefully now Corral, you know, it wasn't a serious impact an injury, but it just opens up the door with just how risky it is to be playing in these games. And I know they don't want to abandon their team, but when, when you're going to be a high pick, man, it, it, it's hard to tell these kids to go out there and give it their all in a game that doesn't have significant meaning and one play on, on in, a, in a sport that, you know, it could all be taken away so quickly. Any thoughts on Corral choosing to play, the injury, the other guys not choosing to play? You know, it's one of those things that Sometimes people are very on on one sided in terms of whether they think it's a mistake, not a mistake. Uh, luckily, here I think we avoided anything that that that'll be catastrophic to Corral's draft stock. But any thoughts on that? I, I might have to avoid going on a full on rant here, but <laughs> you know, I think like you, you know, you saw like Kirk Herbstreet, you know, ESPN make you know just waves around you know uh, the Twitter sphere where. You know, he's, he's calling these players selfish and they don't they don't love the game. And I'm just, you know, um, you know, you mentioned Jalen Smith, Willis McGay. He's another one. Just I, I'm sorry. I just if you're judging a player's decision and, you know, absolutely nothing about, you know, what's important to them, what they've talked to their team about, you know, what what their team's telling them to do, their coaches you know, we'll, we'll talk about it later um, when we get into the Debbie slant, but even like these programs are, are sort of there to help these guys get into the NFL, right? Like you're just assuming factors of team loyalty. And then I'm sorry, if, if, if you kind of hold that point of view, you just have to have some introspection and realize how entitled you sound like you, you sound so entitled that that player has to play in this money-making game that all this is is to make a bunch of money for your enjoyment and i'm just and, and you know what's better for them or they have to do this and i'm just I, i'm really glad it sounds like Corral's gonna be okay i think there's you know he's gonna have to go through a lot of uncertainty with the medicals like that you know and that's a big mark um on draft stock we've seen that hurt people in the past and and so even if he's going to be okay and play his rookie year you know th does that mean 
he loses millions of dollars because he falls from slot 12 to slot 18. I, I really hope, I'm glad it's nothing catastrophic. I'm glad we're not seeing, um, I mean, we saw a couple major injuries happen on the NFL side this last weekend, you know, and I, I think I understand, you know, this is, this was his audition on a big stage, right? He's not going to the senior bowl, you know, Pickett can sit out his bowl game and audition in front of coaches during senior bowl week. Um, so, you know, ultimately I leave this in the players' decisions, right? Like I, I love watching them on Saturday. I, I think it's great to see them play. I think it's great to see them play on a big stage, but you know, like this is up to like, just it's up to them, man. They, they know how they know what right call they've thought this through and they've got the support. So at the end of the day, you know, just leave it up to them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I mean, for Kirk Herbst to come out there as like one of the faces of college football in terms of like the coverage of it, I think it was just a mistake by him. You know what? I, I have a I have less of an issue when somebody wants to call somebody out for maybe not doing something at the combine or the senior bowl where they're not the the odds and risk of getting injured are significantly less. And you could say, oh, they're they're trying to hide something, you know, they're you know, they don't want to open themselves up for criticism, stuff like that. But to protect your investment to protect your interests all of these players you know from one person to another we have absolutely no idea the good majority of them about their their upbringing their financial situation like this is on the verge of life altering money for them their entire family their future their careers on the line and i don't begrudge any of these guys to sitting out like it, you know, all these guys who sat out, if they were playing for the national championship, not one of them would have sat out, right? So, like, it's not like I, – I get that somebody could say they're leaving their team high and dry, but I, I don't think any other players on their team look at it like that. I truly don't. If it was, like I said, for the national championship, I think there'd be a lot more, you know, contempt from their teammates and, and, and stuff like that. But I just don't think that's the case. And, you know, for him to come out so publicly like that, I think was a mistake. And, you know, I'm right there with you. It's their choice and, and they shouldn't be ridiculed or criticized for whether they choose to play or, or choose not to play. And luckily it looks like Corral's avoided anything too significant because when it first happened, I was thinking to myself, he just, round one is gone. And I was thinking someone's going to take a flyer on him day two or day three, if it was a catastrophic injury. Uh, but luckily it looks like we've avoided that. Some other guys that played in, in the playoff games and just other bowl games that I thought really stuck out. I know Matt and I have been saying, we were really excited for the opportunity for Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford of Cincinnati against Alabama. Both of them obviously had their significant struggles. I don't think it's going to hurt their draft stock. Cause I think anybody who watches that game, can can understand just how you know how much the gap in terms of the talent level was uh between Cincinnati and Alabama but definitely something where you were hoping that maybe they could have found a way to you know be productive in that moment in that setting to kind of help increase their stock so I don't think Ritter or Jerome Ford stock went down I just think it probably is where it is which for form for Ford is probably a third round uh, a third day pick somewhere and Ritter probably a guy who a team will be intrigued with somewhere on day two. Uh, staying with that game for a second, Brian Robinson was the star of that playoff game, 25 carries, 198 yards and a touchdown. Jameson Williams, seven catches, 62 yards. 
Alabama just didn't have to do much in the passing game. And that's that's kind of where you see when a team like Cincinnati versus Alabama, the line play is really where you see the significant difference. And they were able to control the game uh, with the round uh, with the on the ground, you know, pounding the rock and Robinson looked good. I think Robinson's somebody who's definitely helped his draft stock a little bit this year. I think when the season started, he might've been like a late round six, round seven guy. And I think now he might've put himself in the position to be like a round four, round five guy. So, so that's good to see. Any thoughts on any of those four guys from the Alabama Cincinnati game, whether it was Ford, Ritter, Robinson, or Williams, Jeff? Yeah, I just um, give credit to to Desmond Ritter for really just um, standing in there, right? Um, like you mentioned, the line play difference in talent, you know, with between those programs, and you know, it all like football like starts in the trenches, right? Like if you're if you're completely mismatched, that's when you really see lopsided games. Um, and and he, his pass catchers weren't doing him a ton of favors either that game. And so just, you know, th- this was him against, this might even be harder, like a harder game when you look at the talent level that he was working with versus the talent level he was going against um, than like a transition to like NFL uh, level defenses that he's going up against because you know, Alabama's pretty close to that. And um, he just, you know, Cincinnati just doesn't have the, the type of talent to, to, to go toe to toe. So I give him a lot of credit and, you know, for, for Jamison Williams, we'll just, we'll just wait for Georgia. And I think I mentioned for Brian Robinson that, you know, when we talked about senior bowl invites and, and commits, that he might be the best running back on the list for for that game and and i think we'll get to another one here but um i I, you're right i think his draft stocks helped he's going to be coming in on the older end right i I don't think we know his true birthday but he's been at alabama for a while now winning behind jacobs harris Najee. um so you know i i think it's going to be a really interesting profile to judge yeah, for sure. And, and you know, we see every single week in the NFL guys at the running back position. It's so much about there's lots of guys who could be functional backs at the NFL level, right? It's about opportunity. It's about offensive line play. It's about the quarterback and the weapons and, and the respect that the defenses have to give those quarterbacks and receivers that open things up. So there's no doubt in my mind that Brian Robinson, you know, and even Jerome Ford, we can kind of pigeonhole them a little bit together. They can both be functional backs in the NFL. They're not going to be foundational backs. They're not going to be guys who are drafted to be, you know, starters. Could they work their way up to be parts of committees? Sure. I think, I think there's so many backs in the NFL could work their way to be, you know, up there. But, you know, when you have Alabama attached to you and you have an impressive performance like he's had this year, even if he's an older back, right? You know, I don't think a team, you know, on day three is worried too much about the age of a running back because they're probably thinking of it as a one-year, you know, a one-contract deal for a guy like that. So they can bring him in. He could be a functional backup. So Robinson interesting. And I think it was, you know, Jim Nagy, director of the Senior Bowl, was talking about the running back class a little bit. And he was saying it's a little bit better than, I think, the public perception. And he was referring to Brian Robinson. And then the other guy he was referring to who I want to bring up was James Cook. And James Cook is a guy that Matt and I have been very high on here for years. He's been a guy that hasn't received much love in the Debbie community since he was an incoming freshman because he just hasn't really lived up to the 
you know, expectations and the hype when he was coming out of high school. But he's a guy who has always had another guy there, Georgia, kind of to like to be the lead guy. But Cook is a guy who I think the NFL is going to be very intrigued with. I think the NFL is going to value him more than Samir White. We saw that, I think, again this past, you know, weekend. Uh, three catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. He's just a playmaker with the ball in his hands. He can be a guy who could impact the game receiving and rushing. So I think a team is going to look at him and and maybe think third, fourth round, a versatile offensive piece to add to the backfield. So I, I'm really high on James Cook. The more and more I, I dig into the running back class, the more and more I keep moving up James Cook because he might not be the prototype, you know, early down, you know, ball carrier. But I, I think he's going to be a guy that NFL teams are going to be very intrigued to add to the mix. And he's a guy who I think is going to use the pre-draft process to kind of see his draft stock rise. And draft Twitter, the analytics community, they're not going to really like him because he doesn't have these gaudy stats. And I think this is where you kind of got to separate the two. And when you watch him, and if you just dig into the opportunity he, he has had, I think people would come away impressed with his film. And if he has a big game against Alabama and he helps maybe Georgia win that national championship game, that could even be more of we see him kind of using that to springboard uh, his pre-draft process. Any thoughts on James Cook before we round out the draft report? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I definitely want to let you touch on him uh, first. But I I think this is one of those reasons why you do play in a bowl game, right? Um, I'm obviously like this is the net, the college football playoffs. It is completely different, but you get an opportunity to showcase um, a skill set. And, you know, what I, I think it was just most impressive was just how comfortable he looked downfield. And when you think about like, the running back position and how much time is spent within a few yards of the line of scrimmage, right? Or, or even if you're breaking downfield, it's because you broke through the line of scrimmage and through a couple layers. So just how comfortable he looked down the field, catching those pass, like, you know, I think, I think you're right. Um, and, and he could sort of like a, I, I mean, I kind of think of like Sony Michelle who, who, um, back on his draft class in, in Georgia sort of rode a little bit more of a dynamic skill set um, to, you know, really early draft capital. You know, I think that's something that not first round, but James Cook couldn't do is elevate himself, maybe not quite up to the Hall and Spiller level. Um, and I really like Kenneth Walker, but, you know, he might start creeping up into conversations around that um, as, as a player who could contribute to an NFL team in a, in a diverse, like Chase Edmonds and Tony Pollard, like skill set. Um, but at like a, a little bit more of a discount instead of having to spend a round two pick, you, you, you might see someone go kind of round three, a little bit like you saw maybe Antonio Gibson go a little bit earlier than people thought um, because of that dynamic skill set he brought. Um, when Washington selected him. Yeah, I think I think those comps are spot on. And I think, you know, he's going to be a guy who, you know, I, I think Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker in some order, one, two, probably have the top two running back spots locked down. But to be honest with you, after that, it's up for grabs. It really is. Isaiah Spiller has had a really down year. So I think the third running back spot is very much up for grabs. And I think James Cook could definitely throw himself into the mix. 
due to his versatility. So it's going to be fun to kind of watch him because he's a guy who's going to be a late bloomer. He's going to be a guy that I think is a very hot topic item in terms of draft Twitter because you're going to have, I think, the film people be really into him and you're going to have the analytics people be really against him just because of, you know, he just really hasn't seized control. He hasn't put up gaudy stats. And if you don't watch him on film and you try to judge him in terms of, you know, a spreadsheet, it's going to be really hard to walk away liking him. So I think he's going to be one of those guys that there is a lot of uh, heated discussion and debate with when it comes to the pre-draft process, maybe even after the draft in terms of, you know, dynasty value in terms of rookie drafts and stuff like that. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to kind of, you know, follow him in this pre-draft process. Uh, the only other guy I want to mention is uh, wide receiver out of Kentucky. Wendell Robinson is a guy that Matt has been very high on that versatile piece who was part running back, part wide receiver for so long at Nebraska before, you know, he transferred to Kentucky and really has been focusing just on the wide receiver position, 10 catches, 170 yards. He's just, you know, he's one of those guys who is not going to probably go in the first two rounds, but he's going to go, he's going to be a guy who goes in the third round probably. And I think he could be a really impactful player. I'm not saying he's going to have the success at the NFL level, but I could I wouldn't be stunned to see him, you know, have an impact, you know, even at the lesser than what we've seen over the last year from a guy like Deontay Johnson, right? Deontay Johnson played at Toledo. Man and I were high on him. We we thought it was kind of wild that he even went in the third round, but the Steelers really liked him. And in now, now the rest is kind of history. He's became, you know, one of the top fifteen or so wide receivers in the league. And I'm not saying that's what you know, Wendell Robinson's future, but I think he's a guy that is that versatile offensive weapon, but now he could be a vertical slot, dangerous after the catch, good route runner. I think teams are going to be very intrigued with him starting in round three, and he's going to be a guy that is definitely a guy that NFL teams could look at as if we have a big outside guy and we're looking for a slot guy who can do a lot of things with, I think he's going to really see his value rise in in the pre-draft process. Uh, especially off the season he's had. And then when people really dig into the film as well. So I think his arrow is really pointing up here as, as we enter the pre-draft month. Any thoughts on Wendell Robinson before we uh, go over to a quick Debbie slant? Well, I thought this was a statement game, right? Um, I thought, uh, you know, it was, it was great to see. We He's popped up here and there. Um, I think definitely early in the season when we were really profiling a lot of uh, the names to watch, you know, throughout the year, you know, he was one of those movers. Um, I, you know, I think uh, Deontay is an interesting name to put on there. And that's definitely a, a case for, uh, you know, what could go right. Um, but I, I think even just like another dynamic player who really helps his NFL team in spots is like a, a Devin Duvernay, right? Where, you, you know, you saw him doing some return work uh for baltimore this year you know he's come in there as like that fourth guy on the depth chart um and you know in versatile weapon right you know that's on a fantasy lens maybe i'd say the floor right um which you know is tough because it's not really usable on your fantasy lens but for an nfl team um just like like duvernay went in the third round as well i think too towards the end of it you know i think that's something that um we really could see um, on draft day. And I do think the type of diversity that he can bring 
as a player is really going to help an NFL team tremendously. And just like dynamic movers like Kadarius Tony, for example, you know, the upside of what he could be as a playmaker with the ball in his hands and, you know, sort of the stats production side, you know, is going to be a really good value when you talk about your dynasty rookie drafts and, and sort of some, someone who might go under the radar and, and sort of into the, you know, later second, early third round kind of picks where you're, you're going to start being able to take some flyers uh, on some upside guys. Yeah, for sure. So listen, this wide receiver class is going to be really fun to break down in the pre-draft months because there's a lot of different high-end guys, but they're, they all seem a little bit different in terms of how they're built, how they play, how they could impact an NFL game, you know, what their dynasty and, and fantasy value could be, you know, attributed to, could be connected to. And, and I think Wendell Robinson is one of those guys. And we have a, we have a couple guys. I know I've talked a lot about Ania Smith this year. There's a couple guys who I think are going to be really intriguing and kind of similar to last year with Elijah Moore and Kadarius Tony really seeing their value rise in the pre-draft months. I think guys like Robinson and Smith are two guys off the top of my head who could see their value rise that we're not really talking about them as top 40 or top 50 picks. And I wouldn't be stunned if they eventually get there uh, after the pre-draft process kind of unfolds. So let's switch this over to the Debbie slant. A couple of things that I want to hit on and bring you in on. One is we kind of sort of this happening, but Caleb Williams, the one of the top Debbie quarterbacks in the country, you know, right there after CJ Stroud and Bryce Young transferring out of Oklahoma. My guess is he's ticketed for USC and following Lincoln Riley. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but that would be my strong lean. We'll see where 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 that kind of unfolds. But that would be my guess is that USC is definitely the leader in the clubhouse unless I miss something in terms of somebody saying, you know, there, there's another team he's leaning towards. That's just, you know, putting two and two together, trying to think that he might be trying to stay with Lincoln Riley. Uh, Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, my God. I mean, we've talked about these guys a lot in the Debbie slant, but, you know, C.J. Stroud and, and Jackson Smith in the Jigba, obviously without Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave playing, he was the, he was the lead guy. And man, 15 catches, 347 yards and three touchdowns. CJ Stroud goes for 573 and six. I don't know how you can make any updated Debbie ranks without the guys who are going to declare this year and not have Stroud in your top two quarterbacks, him and Bryce Young, and not have potentially, you know, Jackson Smith and Dejigba as at worst wide receiver two, three. And if you want to make the case that he should be at the top of the list now, I think the on-field production would obviously warrant that. Uh, any thoughts on Caleb Williams transferring the Ohio State guys? We kind of talked about Alabama a little bit. I don't think anything in this game really stood out about Bryce Young. I think there'll be more to talk about when we see him against Georgia again. Uh, I had Michael Mayer ran down here. He scored two touchdowns, continues to be the clear tight end one. Uh, in the in Devi circles as well as Rick Gilbert, you know, kind of went you know a wall and missed the whole year. Uh, you know, Mayer's kind of solidified himself as the top guy at that position. But any thoughts on any of those things that I talked about right there? Uh, since I have a lot more to talk about for Caleb Williams, because I think that's there's some implications there to to really discuss. Um, I'll hit you know Mayer Mayer real quick, just as you know, you're right. They, really exciting prospect to watch. Really excited, you know, for his path. Um, 
And then in my non-existent Debbie rankings, uh, Jackson, Smith, and Jimba is going to be one and one A and one B and one C and one D. Like he's, <laughs> I, I don't know, after 350 yards and three touchdowns and just dominating. It, it was so selfish of uh, Olave and Wilson to, to, to not take the fields and give it all <laughs> to, the, you know, showcase this up and coming talent. I mean, I just, I just, yeah. I mean, I, I somewhere Matt's going to be, Matt's just like putting on tape and just sitting there, just watching this over and over and over again, just <laughs> Love you know, drinking life. a beer. And yeah, he's <laughs> like, ah, oh, this is vacation. Um, but I, I mentioned uh, Caleb Williams' decision. Um, well, so, so first, you know, his statement did, didn't preclude a return. Um, and really, you know, again, just like, you know, with the an athlete's decision to sit out a bowl game, like, you know, I, I totally get, you know, Oklahoma fans feeling sad and, and maybe sort of um, rejected a little bit, but, um, but, you know, he's got to make the decision for what's going to be best for his future. And that's really what the, the statement came down to is how is he going to develop as a quarterback to a path in the NFL? And, you know, you're right. I, just, I mean, he, he went to Oklahoma. He wanted to, to work under Lincoln Riley there. Um, I think that's definitely a path forward, but Oklahoma did a good job bringing in Jeff Levy too. And I thought what one of the more interesting ramifications was when Dylan Gabriel switched his transfer commit from UCLA over to Oklahoma, right? Like maybe in anticipation that Caleb Williams wouldn't be back. And that to me is pretty, uh, pretty noteworthy just, just because he's, he's somebody, you know, my wife's a UCF grad. All right. So, and you know, whenever there's somebody there who, who gets a little bit of a, you know, who's getting a a little bit of buzz and, and sort of making a little bit of a statement, you know, it's, it's nice to, to kind of follow that. And they've had a few prospects go through to the draft and Gabriel was, was playing really, really well. Um, and he had an injury this year that, that sort of, you know, derailed his season. But, you know, I think he he's just as far as his production stats, um, I don't have like full scouting reports on him, but just, you know, what he's done, you know, from a production standpoint has been noteworthy at UCF. And if he's able to take, you know, at UCF, that's under the radar. At Oklahoma, that's round one buzz, right? And so if you're playing well at Oklahoma, you're really boosting your draft stock. And it really opens, I think, the door um, for what, you know, one of those players we see as these kind of like risers again. And um, again, just that commit to Oklahoma. I think I mentioned them pulling in Jeff Levy. Levy was the offensive coordinator at UCF for Gabriel in 2019 too. So it's just, um, I, I think it's a fascinating shift of the landscape. I think it's great for these athletes. Um, it is going to be really fascinating for for Williams. I, I, I'm guessing USC as well, which, I mean, that, that's pretty exciting for that program. Um, and we'll see, you know, just that's a lot of change for the Oklahoma program as well. But um, But I don't think 
it's a lot of change. I don't think they're necessarily it. It's not a. It's not like it's um, losing all this talent to a bare empty cupboard. Yeah, I mean, uh, Oklahoma is going to be one of those teams that they they're going to bounce back and they'll and they'll be fine. But you know the loss of Lincoln Riley we knew was going to have some additional ramifications and the writing was kind of on the wall that they were it was going to maybe be hard for them to keep Caleb Williams and I know Matt and I right after the shocking you know development of of Lincoln Riley leaving to go to USC we talked about like man Oklahoma's got to try to do anything in their power to keep Caleb Williams and we were talking about maybe bringing in like Joe Brady to be the offensive coordinator a guy who had a lot of success at you know at LSU before he went to the NFL and and that didn't really pan out but you know the writing might have been on the wall long before any before they even made a decision in terms of who the next coach was going to be at Oklahoma he might have known that as soon as Lincoln Riley was leaving that might have been the sole reason why he went to Oklahoma and no one would blame a high school quarterback prospect who to, for wanting to pair up with Lincoln Riley with the success he's had with with a you know multiple guys now at his tenure at Oklahoma that that's the guy he wanted to pair himself with and he says okay you know if he's not going to be here I'll I'll kind of follow suit so I think we started writing on the wall. I think Oklahoma will be fine in the long run, but I think they, I think they end up just falling back a little bit, a little bit more to the pack. And you know what we're seeing is is that the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world, it's like a teardrop after them. And now it's going to be, can anybody else join them? Can Clemson get back to where they were? Can USC, you know, rise from the ashes and and become a legitimate powerhouse that can compete with these SEC teams? And we'll see because it's really the level of separation seems to be at an all-time high in college football right now. And I don't care that Alabama plays in the national title of the playoffs every year. I'm not one of those people, but I would like to see them feel like they could at least be pushed once they get to like the big games. And, you know, what we saw this past weekend, I don't think is good for college football like that. We can't even get competitive games in the national semifinals so we'll see we'll see if the gap can close over the next couple of years and if some other programs can really uh rise up uh you know and push some of the top sec teams so let's spin this over to the nfl circle because it's been a couple of weeks since we talked and the guys i have down the rookie report that i thought were definitely noteworthy to talk about were trey lance making another start for the 49ers definitely want to hear your take on that 249 two touchdowns uh, Mac Jones, really impressive in New England's romp of Jacksonville, 227 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, his, his teammate there, Ramondre Stevenson, to me, is starting to look like potentially the best back to own in New England. So I, I'd be intrigued to hear your thoughts as we soon head into the offseason if Stevenson is a guy who should be valued ahead of Damian Harris. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, your boy, Matt's boy, you know, Eight catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. I think he's such a hot topic item right now because, you know, his end of the year stretch here has been ridiculous. It's been impressive. It's been, you know, but I think he's a very hard, you know, eval going into the offseason because he doesn't have that round one, round two draft capital. Detroit is so void of skill players now in terms of pass catchers. How to appropriately value him, I think, is really tricky. And, and 
you know, it's something we've talked a little bit about on here. When I was on the podcast last week, we talked about it for a while. Uh, so I'd like to hear your take on that. And then Elijah Mitchell just continues. He comes back from a concussion. You know, they just feed him 21 times, 119 yards. Uh, is it safe to assume the feel out there? Are you in line with me thinking that he's going to be the guy and, and dynasty owners and fantasy owners can look at Elijah Mitchell and have faith that, you know, that he's probably going to get every opportunity to be the guy, whether that's, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30, you know, pick a number. I don't care, but I'm starting to feel pretty confident that his value in dynasty might not even be where it should be right now, because I kind of think he might be the guy for San Francisco for, for the next couple of years. And if Lance, is the guy we thought and the running capabilities of Lance opens things up for the ground game. We know the run scheme is the best, if one of the best, if not the best in all of football, they have playmakers and Kittle and Debo and Ayuk. I mean, they're set up to succeed and Elijah Mitchell can, I think really has the capability to be a strong RB two potentially for the next handful of years or the next couple of years, you know, obviously things change quick at the running back position. So thoughts on any of those guys or any other rookies you want to bring up the, the floor is yours, Jeff. Well, first, um, I just have to say you had to profile pretty much the entire starting roster of uh, my opponent in championship <laughs> week. Uh, just seeing Amon Ra rush for a 26-yard touchdown, Elijah Mitchell catching touchdowns. I'm like, ah! It was not, uh, you know, the luck was in the favor of my opponent this week. But, um, but it makes for some really interesting conversations. So being the 49ers fan I am, uh, I'll spend more time on Trey Lance than Mac Jones, you know, because I think what's been said about Mac Jones, I think still holds, um, you know, really well. And again, impressive, but also within the system and it's Jacksonville and they were shellacking him. Um, so my first impressions of the trail of Trey Lance, you know, starting at quarterback for the 49ers was that the offense stayed on script better with Jimmy Garoppolo the last couple months. And, and that's, Jimmy Garoppolo was playing on fire the last couple months, right? Up until the injury in the Titans game. Um, so it's not really a, a slight on Trey Lance because, you know, he has progressed from the last start we saw when he was um, playing Arizona, I think within the first month of the year. And, you know, in that game, he played like he was at uh, North Dakota again. And he had just, the talent level you know, was off the charts relative to his competition. He could just run around and chuck it down the field, which is something that he did. Like he still can do, but you understand when to take those shots, when the moment is to go for a dagger. And it looked great when, you know, he, you know, threw a pass on a line to Debo Samuel for a 40 plus yard touchdown. It's, it's a show that, um, you know, it's explosive plays that we, don't see Jimmy Garoppolo make nearly as often. Um, and Lance is doing better by, you know, just reading the game, reading the defense, taking the small stuff, keeping things on script, right? Like we we're talking about Mac Jones playing great this entire season. That's what he does, right? He keeps the game on script and he keeps the offense moving and going down drives and scoring points. Like most of what quarterback in the NFL is, is keeping the offense moving, right? Limiting the amount of mistakes, you know, you know, when the, when the 15 yard, you know, crossing route isn't there, you know, take the five yards to, 
you know, to your running back in the flat, like Tom Brady does with Leonard Fournette, right? Like Tom Brady is one of the greatest and we see him dump the ball off a lot, right? So those are things that I've noticed improvement on for Trey Lance. I think the future's bright for San Francisco. The arm talent we saw there, we're seeing the progression of learning how to play the game. You know, it was really nice to see 49ers come out with a win. I think he's probably going to start next week as well um, against St. Louis, uh, against the Rams in, in LA. And um, that's going to be a much harder test. And we'll see if, if they win that game and they get a playoff berth, they might have to go with him over an unhealthy Jimmy Garoppolo. So, um, so we could really be seeing the transition really start right now. Um, I, I'll touch on the running backs as well for, um, you know, Elijah Mitchell. I think we've noticed actually both of these are really, really good conversations. So sticking with the 49ers and Elijah Mitchell, I mean, I think you're going to rank him as a top 20 running back for dynasty leagues for, for fantasy. But when you ask me if I have confidence, I don't because I do think there's talent on that roster. I think Shanahan will we just see the ebbs and flows of the, over the last like three or four years of the, of the names that roll through the San Francisco backfield and play well. And, you know, I've cataloged this season, the improvement of Elijah Mitchell, um, you know, again, you know, as going from a home run threat to, you know, a, a more well-rounded runner. So the, the skill sets there, the talents there, I just not sure I trust the situation to be locked down that confidently. Um, so it's it's a risky play, but one that might pay good dividends for you if you're willing to take it. As for the New England situation, last week we saw Damian Harris roll for 103, right? Like, you know, he just, he dominated last week. And I think it sounded like he had a little bit of an injury issue this last weekend. And with them um, rolling Jacksonville, there, you know, there really isn't anything, any reason to test his hamstring, you know, especially when Ramondre's playing well. So I think we're going to see a tandem there. Um, they're both going to be playing. They're both playing really well. Um, so if New England's a good team, they're both going to be sort of that RB3 level contributor for you on your fantasy team. Um, it's a really good tandem back, back there. So, but I don't think it's going to be one over the other. You know, I think you just, you take your, you take your pick of which guy you can get. And then last touch on the wide receivers. So yes. Um, yeah. Amon Mara St. Brown league winner for your fantasy leagues in 2021 is, it's just a really interesting case because, you know, they did get DeAndre Swift back this week, but, he wasn't in the game, you know, at the, at like a full level and a full workload. And, and again, Amon Ra is really the target. And, you know, we see these rookie wide receivers flash and, and put up some, some good stats. And I think that's something that you really want to see. Like I definitely want to see my rookie wide receivers you know, dominating for a hundred yard, like eight catches, hundred yards, touchdowns. 
Um, but his efficiency metrics, you know, one of the things you have to be a little bit conscientious of is um, that what I'll call the Kelvin Benjamin um, syndrome, which is just being force fed targets because you're the only guy there. And then when there's more talent around you, you cede some of that attention to maybe more dynamic play playmakers like Swift and Hawkinson and yeah, uh, you know, maybe it's a Traylon Burks that Detroit drafts or so I, I, I'm still a little bit worried because we haven't seen him. We haven't seen Amon Ra, even, even though he's had, you know, just massive production, we haven't seen him dominate on the efficiency metrics the same way we saw Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown and Jamar Chase, who, uh, you know, one final note of, league winners 11 for 266 and three this last weekend. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty much thinking I'm just taking us into the, uh, you know, sort of the dynasty slant here, but um, you had some notes on like, where do we take these wide receivers? And so, you know, when you look at a Jamar chase and you look at an AJ Brown and you look at a Justin Jefferson and you look at a CD lamb, it's not just that they're making out like massive production, but they're doing it on a really efficient level, which is a proxy for me um, as a really good statistical way to look at the talent showing out on the football field. Those are one of those two things that when you see dynamic talent, big playmaking ability, um, you know, just showcasing skill on the football field, and how that looks in the stat sheet on the raw numbers. Um, if you look one layer deeper at the efficiency metrics, that's where I start to see that mirror. Um, that's where I'm worried about with Amon Ra. And to me, that's where I start striating my dynasty wide receiver rookie rankings, where I won't break it beyond just Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. You know, I still include CeeDee Lamb. I still include AJ Brown in that conversation as young stud focal points of their offense, you know, incredibly like cornerstone wide receivers for your, for your rosters. So for me, it's not just the two atop there. It, it is those other guys. Um, and, and then I think you start to get in the conversation of uh, playmakers like Tyree kill and Stefan Diggs and, Adams might fall off a little bit with the uncertainty, but those other guys with stable situations tied to, um, to good quarterbacks are in that conversation. Um, but, but for me, I think I'm taking those four young, stable, talented wide receivers at, at sort of the top. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, your argument about Amon Ross St. Brown in your case is, is spot on. And listen, I think we got to be able to separate into two separate things. What he's done this year, fantastic. All the people that were high on him and liked him coming out, they've seen him live up to expectations beyond, way beyond what anybody could have expected for a fourth round pick. You know, it's great to see him doing. I just, my one thing I'll say is, is we've seen we've seen things before where a guy had a you know you brought up Calvin Benjamin great example like fed targets put up gaudy stats you know and and you also brought up the fact that we already know DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson are locked in right so they already got a great pass catching running back they got a very good pass catching tight end 
if they go out and sign a veteran wide receiver and then draft one in the first two rounds, let's say, all of a sudden, you know, you look at their new upgraded, you know, skill players, and it's not inconceivable that he goes from right now being like the only game in town getting significant targets to all of a sudden he's third, fourth, or fifth on the pecking order. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So I think it's one of those things where if you can get a really great return for it, I'll trade him. If you could buy him cheap, which I don't think that would even be a consideration with how he's finishing, I would do that too. But I think it's one of those things where you just kind of got to tread lightly. Don't get so excited that you go all in to buy him and get him on your teams. And I think you could see some of that because of how high people liked him going into the draft last year and then were surprised when he fell. It's one of those things that's a very, you know, very tricky to kind of decipher because what he's doing right now is I don't think that's what he's going to be doing for the foreseeable future. I think he meshes very well with Jared Goff, who knows how long Jared Goff's the quarterback there. He meshes well with the fact that they don't have a lot of other, you know, serviceable pass catchers that that are receivers. So it's it's been kind of a perfect storm to put up, and, but he deserves credit for still doing what he's doing. And I think that, you know, I think he's going to have a long career in the NFL and he's kind of probably solidified himself to be a guy who could be, you know, a top three on a depth chart. And for a fourth round pick, even that would be remarkable and that would be great. But I, I do think we have to be a little bit careful in terms of overvaluing until we kind of see the Lions and their approach this offseason and maybe even next offseason. But in particular, this offseason will, will tell us a lot maybe in terms of how high we should be uh, on Amon Ra. You mentioned the wide receivers. Yeah, I, I can see a scenario where those first four are, are grouped together. Uh, I do think, for me, Chase and Jefferson would be the clear one, too. I think the next two would be the guys you talked about in Lamb and and A.J. Brown. And I don't think I'd call it a teardrop in between them, but like almost like a slight separation within the tier where I, I'd feel a little bit more confident and if we were doing overall – uh, I probably would have, I don't think I'd have them necessarily in a row, all four of them. I think I might have Chase and Jefferson and then maybe some other guys in the mix, maybe a, a running back or two, uh, but not sure, you know, cause we, we just do it positionally, but I could see a scenario where maybe there was somebody in between those, th- those pairings, but those I think are the four guys that you look at and they're transcendent talents, uh, they get the versatility to their games inside, outside can pretty much do it all. Uh, I can't believe it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about Jamar Chase dropping a couple footballs in preseason, talking about the size of the ball, like being different and people overreacting to it. Uh, while we're on Jamar Chase, let's transition over to his teammate though. And, you know, Joe Burrow at the quarterback position, it's hard for him to, catapult himself into the top top you know of the dynasty quarterback mix because he is a guy who could be a serviceable runner and and maybe even be above average it's just not something I think he's going to do a lot and especially off of the injury last year I I don't think we're going to see much of that ever in his NFL career so I don't think he can get to the Kyler Murray Josh Allen Lamar Jackson range and, and and obviously Mahomes is still up there too But I do think it's a legitimate conversation now that he could be put in the mix with like Dak Prescott, who I don't think we're ever going to see Dak do much running anymore, and Justin Herbert. I think that's kind of now where we're at. And if somebody wants to make a strong argument that 
He's younger than than Dak. Not you know him and Herbert are similar in age, but he's younger than Dak. He got he's attached to the hip to a gr- bunch of really skilled wide receivers, and you can make the same case about both those other guys pending you know Mike Williams staying, and and obviously you know we'll see what the future holds for the Dallas guys. Obviously, CD is going to be there. We'll see about Cooper and Gallup's a free agent. But do you think the argument can be made if somebody wants to put Joe Burrow going into this offseason right there with Dak or Herbert or even ahead of them? Do you think there's a strong op- – could you make a strong case against why that would be such a crazy idea? Or do you think it's definitely in the realm of possibilities if somebody wants to have him right there with those guys or even ahead of them? Yeah, no, no I couldn't make a strong case of, uh, against it at all. Um, in my previous inter- iteration of my ranks, he was the top – you know, those guys were in a tier and he was the top of the tier below. And, and I think he's done what he showed this last couple of weeks is when he's given the ball and he's asked to throw it, you know, they're not just relying on Mixon to sort of run it and, and sort of slow play football. And, and they, they want to air it out and they want to pass and they want to keep up with the Kansas cities of the world, um, you know, and score and they have to score. Yeah, he's he's right there. Um, I I think he's graduated, right? Like this is, this is a graduation <laughs> of sorts. Um, you know, you're tied to the hip to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, so you know that's pretty phenomenal. Um, I the way Lamar Jackson's played, I don't think it's crazy if you put him over Lamar Jackson either. I, I mean, it still I'm a still still a huge Lamar Jackson fan and everything but but that's that's sort of what it, what you're seeing is you're you're seeing a it's very much like Justin Herbert I think you know you're just you're seeing something that's locked in and promising um there's develop we, we talk about it all the time develops development isn't linear there could be steps back we can see some bumps in the road um we've seen it here and there with herbert we've seen it here and there with other players kyler sometimes but um but we're you know he's done it he's he's showed enough to me to to be on that level with those other guys and for me to be excited about building a team around him both for your dynasty team but also for the Bengals. like they they can be the top that like there's a path for them to be the number one seed in the AFC after this weekend. There's a couple losses that have to happen and they win out, but, but like they could have a first round buy. I don't think Tennessee's going to lose to Jacksonville and, and that's, so it's probably not going to happen, but just like, that's the position they're in. And that's the, that's the change that's happened to that franchise with these recent draft picks. And that's phenomenal. I, I think it's great for the NFL. Yeah, and he listen, he's not gonna win and he's not even gonna be in the top three or top five, but you know, he just doesn't have as gaudy of a stats as he would need to. But you can make the case there's not many other people who've been more valuable to their football team than Joe Burrow. Like he, there shouldn't be that long of a list of MVP candidates that doesn't have Joe Burrow on it. Whether well, whether you wanna say obviously, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, hmm. but the list is the list has got to be pretty short before he starts at least getting mentioned for this year, what he's doing with the Bengals. Well, and I talked about it with the wide receivers, right? Um, the, you know, volume driven stats versus efficiency stats. 
he wasn't asked to carry the team with, you know, 40 pass attempts in the middle of the season. They gave it to Joe Mixon 30 times and, and that worked. It was a winning formula. But you look at the efficiency stats of Joe Burrow and he's he's up there at the top with those guys. And so if Cincinnati had to do more, if they needed to, to you know, if, if the AFC North wasn't as weak as it was and sort of just ground and pound and smash mouth, and they were able, and, and they they were forced to play catch up with all these other teams um, and all their opponents. And and Joe Burrow had to arrow it out. You really could see him be among the MVP candidates. That's how well he was playing. He just didn't have to do as much as someone like Rogers or Brit or Brady right now. Yeah, and if anybody watched during the middle of the year and maybe thought. You know, that, that term that gets thrown around too much, that doesn't really mean much. But, like, if somebody thought Joe Burrow, you know, as a year earlier in the year, that was his future to be a game manager, they don't know Joe Burrow. Like, they, they, he was being brought along slowly because of the injury. I think the ceiling is sky high on him. I, I don't have a rooting interest in the playoffs, obviously, with the Giants, you know, season over about 12 weeks ago, 14 weeks ago. So I'm all in on the Bengals. Like, I'm not going to watch a game the rest of the season that the Bengals are playing and not be rooting for them. They're just they're the team that I'm going to get behind in the playoffs and, and kind of hope it's a fun story. They, they never really win. And I, I enjoy watching Burrow play. Obviously, in terms of just on-the-field talent, we know that I'm a fan of Joe Mixon's game. Jamar Chase is fun to watch. We've always been fans here of Tyler Boyd. I was a big fan of T. Higgins. They're, there's a fun offense to watch. They're a fun team. They're an upstart team. So, you know, go Bengals the rest of the way is where my rooting interest is going to lie uh, for, for the remainder of the NFL season. And, and I'm right there with you. I think Burrow has, has catapulted himself, uh, you know, to right there that next year. And who knows? Like, right, we've seen Kyler Murray, you know, have some up and downs without DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, you know, he played better this week. But, you know, I don't think it's inconceivable that if we're sitting here talking dynasty quarterback rankings a year or two out from now, if Joe Burrow's not right near the top, the, the top, right. You know, like he could be pushing his way towards that another year removed from his injury. What if he starts being a little bit more willing to use his athleticism? That's there. It's a part of his game. I always thought his athleticism was on an Andrew Luck type level, a guy who could score four or five touchdowns, get a, you know, 300 yards or 250 yards on the ground. If he starts adding that to the mix for fantasy and you're getting, you know, another 40 points or 50 points from him because of four touchdowns and a couple hundred yards rushing, you know, he could really push his way right into that elite, elite top tier. Uh, if not, I think he's going to be, you know, comfortably in, in that second grouping of guys for sure. And Jeff, let's round it out. Two guys I just want to bounce off you real quick. Uh, one is Rashad Penny, his late season, you know, taking over that, you know, Seahawks backfield has looked impressive. Obviously, a former first round pick, never has lived up to the expectations, lots of injuries, inconsistent play. What are, what are you to make of him entering the offseason? And then A.J. Dillon, a guy who I've always been a big fan of. He always, we always, we had him. I remember I had him right around Tony Pollard when the year started in terms of our dynasty rankings, but he's starting to solidify his role now. And I think the question is up for the discussion now is, is how far apart should him and a guy like, you know, his teammate Aaron Jones be entering the off season? 
you know, obviously there's a lot of uncertainty what's going to happen with Green Bay because of Aaron Rodgers and everything changes if Aaron Rodgers leaves, which still probably is most likely, you know, but right now I think, you know, AJ Dillon, the stock is up, but again, do we got to be a little cautious there because of Aaron Rodgers situation because of Aaron Jones, should Aaron Jones be going, you know, significantly down running back rankings or at least down into like the mid teens. Um, and then Rashad Penny also some thoughts, quick thoughts, maybe on him to round out tonight. So for the Packers, um, well, I think you're right with Aaron Jones. I just get really concerned now. Um, he'll still be above AJ Dillon for me just because, you know, you've got, he can do it on three touches and he can make your fantasy day um, because of, the type of player he is and he's going to get more than that. Right. So, um, you know, and, and Dylan's going to be, you know, he's, he's good. He's a good player. Part of the reason he's good is because he's, he's getting volume in a good offense. If, if circumstances around him change, right. Um, you can lose some of that fantasy value um, where, you know, like we see like with a guy like Alvin Kamara, you know, and Aaron Jones will still be able to, you know, f- find that value and create that value for himself in a worse situation. But uh, Dylan was one of those, uh, you know, it was a, it was a rookie profile I did um, wrote up and, and it was so funny because he just got so much hate. Everyone called him a plotter and everyone thought he was like Garrett Blunt, And, you know, they, they thought he couldn't catch passes and, and we're seeing he can catch passes. It's just that he wasn't asked to, right? You've got to scout that. It's not just a numbers thing. It's what, how do they do it? Right. I think we talked about that for Kenneth Walker a little bit, or, or I don't know if it was Kenneth Walker or not, but it, you know, his hands, you know, their hands and how well they do. Um, you know, we had a couple guys in our, our college profiles earlier in uh, the season where we talked about that. And so I am rooting for AJ Dillon um because i've been a big fan i just i am a sucker for really good footwork and when you have good footwork and a frame like he does like i think you're gonna be a good football player and and he's a really good football player and i love to see him do well so he's gonna he's gonna siphon off a lot of fantasy value from aaron jones i i I think that's the case but aaron jones always had a backfield mate jamal williams was one of those guys who was also really good took a lot of that work and kept Aaron Jones from being Dalvin cook essentially. But both those guys I like. Oh, you're on mute, Paul. You're spot on there in terms of they're both going to have value and there's no reason we see enough backfields now in the NFL between, you know, Nick Chubb and, you know, Kareem Hunt doing work together that I think there's more than enough for Aaron Jones to still be a very strong, maybe not RB1 anymore, but maybe a strong RB2. And AJ Dillon could still be a low RB2 or a high RB3. I think the the key here is what, what happens at the quarterback position, right? Because if they have – Aaron Rodgers there for a handful more years and and they have this great offense. I think everybody can get theirs, right? But if he's gone and, and, you know, I don't think Jordan loves the answer. I don't think they think he's the answer. So, you know, where do they turn from there? If all of a sudden their offense craters, well, that that's where, you know, they could really have some issues with both maintaining their value. So they're really interesting guys in the dynasty spectrum right now with so much uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers and that whole offense, 
you know, how to appropriately value them. But definitely, you know, always have liked Dylan. You talked about the footwork. I always thought he was very underappreciated. People just thought he was a slow plotter. He had more athleticism. People gave him credit for. Uh, and I'm, I've been happy to see the success that he's had at the next level. Any any quick thoughts on on Rashad Penny? I know we talked we're talking about the Green Bay guys there, but anything on what to make of Penny this finish to the season? Is it something that you know? Yeah, it's a nice finish, but you'd steer clear of in terms of off season dynasty getting him on your team. You know who knows what's in the future for Seattle with Russ Wilson and and Pete Carroll at the age he is and and stuff like that. Well, one quick final Green Bay thought, because, you know, you talked about his underrated athleticism and so much times athleticism is like some 40 time or whatever. But like you just watch how he moves in space, especially when he's adjusting to a pass he's trying to catch. And you like A.J. Dillon has got like ballerina level like motion skills at times in a 250 pound frame. So <laughs> you tell me what what's athletic. Right. Um, and I, I do, for the record, think. At this point, Aaron Rodgers might be back. I just think it's too good. It's too good for him. It's too good for Green Bay. I just, it's just a gut feel. I, I wouldn't feel confident, but it's a gut feel. I feel about as confident about it as Elijah Mitchell as a top 20 dynasty back, willing to make the bet, but not, not a certain bet at all. Rashad Penny, man, I mean, what is it? This Is this four years? Um, he was the same draft class as, as Chubb and Saquon, I think, Um it's really took a while, but wow. Like talk about another, you know, we, we talked about Amon Ra and Jamar Chase's league winners, but um, first of all, I don't know how Seattle invests in Chris Carson as a future, right? Like just, just with those injuries. I mean, he's a really good player, but just with those injuries, I just, I think you've got to move on, but, but Penny isn't under contract. They didn't pick up his fifth year option. So is he coming back to Seattle? I I think it, it's a fit that makes sense, but is he, is he going to say, I'm, I'm getting paid somewhere. I'm going somewhere else. Like, you know, just like Russ might leave, like, does, does, Penny want to leave he's 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 got control of his destiny with where he wants to go so so can he find a different location um and I I think there would be a few pretty good ones so I just it there's there's so much uncertainty and even if he does maybe he gets resigned in Seattle which probably would be the best case scenario for his value especially if Russ stays and you know, maybe maybe they cut Carson, save some cap, keep DJ Dallas in there, kind of have a couple complementary pieces, and it looks like, you know, Rashad Penny's going to be that that focal point. I, you know, can you really trust him to to play a full season? I, I really I don't know how you could at this point because he he's even gotten banged up after he's picked up the starting role and then gotten banged up again. And so like, I'm not going to be trading a first round pick for um like this was sort of the breakout that we were just waiting to see. And it was just injuries. And, and now that we've seen it and now we've, you know, we're, we're locked in. I don't even know if I'd give a second round pick with as good as this wide receiver class is. I probably want a shot on one of those guys, but it's in that range. 
And it's an interesting bet and it's a risky bet. One that you might have to make if you're kind of feeling desperate and, and need to kind of take some lottery scratchers. I don't know. It's, it's really fascinating. I, I don't have a good beat on what it's going to be. And, and so, so I don't feel confident in what a bet would be, but yeah. I mean, I think I think you kind of said it right there. But you, if he was under contract, I think we could at least be like, okay, like he's he's going to at least be in the mix. But even if they bring him back, they're not going to go into the offseason and the season with just him as the only guy they feel comfortable with. And maybe they like DJ Dallas enough and they think they, they can – but they're going to either invest in another running back in the first three or four rounds or they're going to bring in a, a decent veteran – so, so from that perspective, like, even if he, even if they decide that they like him and want to give him, you know, another opportunity, it's probably going to be a very short deal. Maybe there's another deal out for him and he wants to get the guaranteed money that's bigger. It's a very hard situation. And it's going to be one of those things that I don't think we're going to get much clarity on it early in the off season. It might be one of those things that, Hey, we got to see, you know, what his market is when the free agent period hits. But then if he goes to Seattle or he goes somewhere else, it might be one of those things where we can't overreact to what his situation might be until after draft weekend, because I don't think any team's going to say, yeah, he's our clear cut guy, you know, or he's going to be our lead guy because I don't know if that's practical for the amount of injuries that he's had in his career and his inability to stay healthy. I just don't think any team's going to do that. So it's going to be one of those things where, I think you could maybe value him as like an RB three ish, depending on where he signs as a free agent. But like, I I think you got to be very cautious with how high you value him, even if he finishes out you know the season as, as strong as he has been because of his injury past, because of the uncertainty. Because I don't think any team's going to really say, oh. He, he's going to be the guy. He hasn't showed the ability to be healthy, right? He hasn't showed the ability to make it through with a heavy workload. So I think that's going to limit his upside when we're talking dynasty rankings and dynasty value for sure. So there it is, guys. Dynasty rookie report, dynasty uh, NFL rookie report, the dynasty fantasy report, a little quick Debbie slant talking about those Ohio State guys. And then obviously the NFL draft report where we talked about some of the top draft eligible prospects from their bowl performances. Guys, if you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website, SS Football. Quickest and fastest way to get there. We really kick in the high gear now in the pre-draft months. Now is a great time to pick up the premium notebooks. Start familiarizing yourself with all these draft eligible prospects. If, if you want to know more about them, there's about 90 full detailed player profiles in the scouting notebook already. Once people officially declare, I'll separate it with guys who are in the draft guys who are not. So it almost becomes like an offensive skill player draft guide. Uh, more guys will be added. Updates will be added to the guys that are in there. The rankings notebook you get immediately to all our different types of rankings. Obviously in the pre-draft months, we do our tiered rankings as well, which those are exclusive tiers to Saturday to Sunday that we made that combine draft stock. Uh, film evaluation, dynasty uh, dynasty value in terms of rookie drafts, and we, we kind of put them all together into our tiered rankings. It'll have our next 
NFL rookie rankings. It'll have our positional dynasty overall uh, rankings that Jeff and I have been working on. So, and then in, in April, you get the NFL draft projections notebook tabs for every position, offense and defense, 300 to 400 players in there. A uh, quick snapshot of who they are, their strengths, their weaknesses, their combine testing numbers, and ranking them in order in which we expect them to go off the board from everything we are hearing. You get all of it for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show. Jeff, any final parting shots? before we call it a night well like i said uh, at the intro it's a time to turn the page turn the page into the new year turn the page into the new season turn the page into the the new pace of of i think an even higher pace of the the upcoming um uh draft prep and and combine and 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 draft months and I, you know, this is one of the more exciting times for for me as an NFL fan, um, looking towards the future of the league. So, for me, I, I'm really excited to start digging in and 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 kind of putting fantasy to to sort of a the back burner and looking into you know the draft and and these players and their skill. Yeah, I mean, the offseason in the NFL is so fun because it's it's the it's the idea of hope, right? As someone that is miserably watched the Giants. You know, every single week, you know, like this is when teams who are fans of the Giants, fans of the Jaguars, fans of the Lions, the Jets, et cetera, et cetera, can, can hope, right? And, and hope that it their draft pick is the one that turns it around or their draft class starts to turn things around. And, and here at Saturday Sunday, we love the process of, of you know, studying these prospects, talking about these prospects, following their path in the pre-draft months, uh, see who stock up, down. Uh, etc etc so it's a fun time here at saturday sunday please make sure you're following all of us on twitter make sure you're following the twitter handle for s to s checking out the notebooks the premium content tab please reach out to us on twitter we love the interaction uh, if you want something thoughts on a player prospect please if we haven't talked about him recently maybe reach out and hit us up on twitter so on behalf of jeff on behalf of matt on behalf of our sound tech engineer david nakano and myself Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.